Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome to the podcast. Before we get into this episode, I got an email just this morning from a guy and I just want to read it to you. And this is from a guy, I'll just call him HUD. And by the way, I got his permission to quote him here. Here's HUD's email. Howdy. Listening to your podcast on the ugly truth. And yep, it fits. I've tried and quit, then get inspired and try again. I will say one thing. I got more out of your lessons than anything else I've tried. I'm 63 and maybe a late bloomer, but hey, I'm retired now and got the time. And by the way, I don't know HUD. I I don't know the man, and I have not um, paid him to say this or anything. It's just nice to get an email out of the blue once in a while like this. So, continuing with HUD's email. Anyway, out of one of your lesson books was a simple, laid-out tune called Sourwood Mountain. And by the way, that that book he's talking about is my ebook called Easy to Pick Banjo Tunes. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Continuing back with HUD's email. Well, finally got it down good enough to make a tune out of it, and wow, I can do this. My timing was another problem I was having, With the help of a chord software program, I made improvement on that. I'm no super picker, but dang, it felt good to accomplish what I have. So I'll say a big thank you to you. I'll send along a little clip. At least I don't have to cut my tangled fingers out of the strings after trying to play a tune now. LOL. Anyway, you do make a difference out here to some of us. Have a blessed day. Signed, HUD. So I wrote him back and I got his permission to play you a little of the tape he sent me of his playing. Now before I play HUD's tape, here's a little bit of the teaching track that comes with the ebook that he learned the tune from. So the first thing you're going to hear is actually me playing the song at a kind of a slow, medium tempo along with the guitar. It's the, the track that comes with the book. So here's that. One, two, three, four. So HUD studied the tab, he got to where he could play along with my track, and now let's hear him after putting in some good practice. I'd say old HUD's doing pretty well. And listen, you can do this too. As a little freebie for banjo pickers, go to the show notes page for this episode. Just go to grasstalkradio.com, scroll down to this episode, and click on the title of this episode, and that'll take you to the show notes page. 
And right there, I'm going to post for free the tablature for that tune, Sourwood Mountain, and also the MP3 track that comes with that ebook, Easy to Pick Banjo Tunes. Just call it a free sample. If that works for you, man, you like it, you can spend the whopping five bucks and get yourself a copy of the complete book later. Anyway, go to the show notes page and get to picking. So now let's get on with this episode. Howdy, folks. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about something that I think is very important if you're going to progress along the bluegrass path and if you're ever going to have much fun with it. And that's what I call finding a partner in crime. You need somebody to knock around with. You need a, a friend who will hop in the car and drive three hours to go see some band play. You need somebody who will come over and pick on the porch with you. You need to find somebody who's interested in this just like you are. It can be really lonely when you first start and you don't know anybody that's into bluegrass. Let me tell you about when I started. I got the bluegrass bug, I think... It probably came from listening to some records at the library. My mother worked at the library, and after school I would go by the library and hang around and just read books and maybe do my homework, draw cartoons. But they had a set of turntables over in the corner of the library. This was in Jonesboro, Georgia. They had these turntables with headphones, so you could go over there and fish around in the record albums and pick something out and put it on put your headphones on there and listen to it. So I started listening to all kind of different stuff. And I found this one record that had some music on it that I had really never heard anything quite like it. And it, it turns out the title of the album, I think, was Songs of the Ozarks. And it had banjo picking on it. And, you know, I didn't really know much about bluegrass. I didn't know anything about bluegrass I had seen a banjo player on TV and I, you know, I knew what a banjo was. But when you put headphones on and it's just being pumped right into your head, I heard this banjo picking and it was like, it was like that scene from uh, the Blues Brothers where John Belushi is standing at the back of the church and that beam of light comes down and just envelops his body and he starts doing, you know, backflips down the aisle because he saw the light. Well, that was me. I heard this and something changed inside of me. I wanted to know what was this and how do I do this? It turns out it was actually claw hammer banjo playing or old time frailing. I didn't know that at the time, but anyway, so I get the bluegrass bug. I've got to have a banjo. Well, I remembered that there was there were these books called the Foxfire books. And I in one of those books, I remember seeing some instructions on how to make your own banjo. So I found that book and I got busy and I made a banjo. And I went down to the music store and I found me a how to play the banjo book and I I started I was trying to pick 
Scrug style banjo on this fretless homemade banjo. Anyway, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing in those days, but I was into it and I started, I found some things in that banjo book, like who, who were the famous people? And there was a list of records and bands and stuff. And I started, I used to go down to the Ben Franklin dime store. They had a little record department. You could thumb through there and I was finding things like people who had been mentioned in that book, Reno and Smiley, Bill Monroe, Stanley Brothers, Flatt and Scruggs. So I started saving up and buying a few little records. So I was getting totally into this bluegrass thing and I'm still in high school. So I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to tell my friends about this. And of course they think I am completely nuts. A, they don't know what I'm talking about. And when I play it for them, they don't like it. You know, they're into ZZ Top and the Allman Brothers and a whole bunch of other stuff that I didn't know anything about and didn't care anything about. So I had, a, you know, some of my friends, I, I remember taking a record. Uh, it was an Earl Scruggs record, and I took it to school. And one of my friends, I was trying to convince him that maybe, you know, he might want to get into this because I needed somebody to play with. And I remember taking this record and me and maybe two other people were in the library and I put this record on and all I got back were like blank stares from these guys. And I thought, man, I've got to find some people to play with. So there was a guy that I knew in high school who played a little bit of guitar. I'd seen him playing with the chorus at a concert one time, he got up and he was strumming the guitar. And I thought, that's that's a dude. I know that guy. So I talked to him and he was a little bit interested. And we started getting together and just playing a little bit. And I was real slow. I was playing Cripple Creek and <laughs> Boiling Cabbage Down, the same tunes I still teach to beginners today. The guy's name was Les Turner. And his, his father was the uh, principal of the school. So he was a good guy to know. Uh, anyway, well, I, I don't know whatever happened to Les Turner, but he and I started picking together a little bit. And then we ended up finding two other guys from a different school who played mandolin and bass. And I was playing banjo and Les was playing guitar. So we formed a little band. And it was called the Bluegrass Barnstormers. <laughs> We'd been playing, you know, I had been playing maybe three to four months max. We were pretty bad, but it's a way to, it's a way to learn. And I had another friend of mine who I was a French horn player in the high school band. Well, sitting right next to me when I was a senior, I just by default ended up being the first chair French horn player. And you hear my dog outside barking just a little more of the flavor of where I live. Dogs barking, chickens crowing. <laughs> Anyway, so there was this guy who sat next to me and also played the French horn. His name was Chandler. Well, when I got into the banjo, I would wear my banjo picks constantly. I mean, I was picking on my leg. And, and I can remember sitting there in band rehearsal, band class, and I put my hand in, up inside the bell of the French horn. That's where you put your right hand. And I would just practice my rolls, picking on the inside, it's like tap, 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 inside the bell of the French horn. And I made up my mind right then. I was like, when I get out of high school, 
what would I do with a French horn? I mean, you know, I have now seen the light. I can't play a French horn. I, I want to play a banjo. So I got really into this. Well, Chandler sitting next to me, you know, he, I told him about this. I've become the biggest bluegrass evangelist. So he was a little bit interested. And I remember one, one Saturday we drove around to about five or six different pawn shops on the south side of Atlanta because I had read in one of those books, oh, you know, you might find an old Gibson Mastertone if you keep your eyes open at a pawn shop. So we spent the whole Saturday trucking around. I don't even think we found a banjo, much less a Gibson Mastertone pre-war flathead, you know. Anyway, Chandler knocked around with me a little bit, but he really wasn't interested. So he went away and there was this other guy, C.D. Mason. He was a pretty good guitar player, but he was sort of into country and he was into playing Eagles tunes and he liked Don Williams and stuff like that. We had a band and I, I was so eager to be playing that I would play with those guys and play the songs they wanted to do. And then I would try to say, well, hey, let, let's do Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And they would be strumming away. And it always sounded horrible because they didn't like bluegrass. And frankly, they weren't any good at it because they really never even listened to it. So they didn't even know what they were trying to do. And if you've ever played with people who played a lot of rock and roll where everything is in 4-4 four, four time, and you try to play bluegrass, they just don't know how to do that boom, chick, boom, chick, boom, chick thing. Everything's a, well, you've surely experienced that. Anyway, there were a number of other people. Uh, there was a dude named Greg Harper. Greg probably, I don't know where Greg went, but he ended up going down to that college I've talked about in previous episodes a year ahead of me. And he played a little guitar and he was in the band with me and C.D. Mason he told all those guys down there that there's this, there's this guy coming down here next year who plays banjo and mandolin and bass and all that. So he really built it, built it up. So when I arrived the next year, there were actually a few pickers down there who immediately sought me out. Even though, I mean, I'd only been playing maybe a year or two total. So I, I you know, I'm always just looking at, at that stage of my you know, excitement. I'm brand new to this. I'm trying to find somebody to pick with. Well, finally, when I got down there to college, that guy I mentioned in a previous episode who walked up to my dorm room, had a banjo case in his hand, knocked on the door and he said, are you Bud Laird? And I said, yes. <laughs> really wasn't my name, but I became Bud Laird. And that was because that guy, Greg Harper, who went down there the year before, he told everybody there's this guy named Bud Laird that's going to come down here next year. Well, that wasn't my name. You know, my mother called me Bradley. But he called me Bud, so he told everybody my name was Bud. And I said, Harper, why did you tell everybody my name was Bud Laird? He said, well, Bradley doesn't sound like a very good bluegrass name. So I swear when I got down there and the guy said, is your name Bud Laird? I said, yes. And I became Bud Laird for the next three years. I became Bud Laird. There are people today that if I get a, a call on my answer machine and it's like, hey, Bud, then I know it's somebody that I met in college 
I, I still have a few friends that call me Bud Laird. But anyway, when I got down there, I found a few guys to pick with. And it made all the difference. All of a sudden, I had somebody to go to festivals with. I had somebody to practice tunes with and sit around and play all weekend long. And you need somebody like that. You can't just sit isolated, you know, just all by yourself. I mean, you know, there's a number of, of levels of jamming. You know, you can jam all by yourself. You can jam with a jam-along track. That's good. You can go out to a, a real jam session, and there's a lot of different kinds of jam sessions. I'm going to... Uh, burn up a half hour in one of these episodes one day just talking about my experiences at the entire the entire jam session experience and then there's formation of bands and band rehearsals and you know going to festivals there's all this stuff but you need somebody that you can knock around with somebody that maybe is at about your same level it's you know it's hard to kind of get permission from somebody who's a lot better than you to hang around with them, you know? So sometimes it's good to find somebody who's right about at your level and the, and the two of you start going places. I remember when my dad had his print shop. He used to always laugh about this. Uh, you know, they printed business cards for little businesses and all kind of stuff they printed, but they used to joke around the supper table about these, you know, it would two guys would come in the, the front door of the print shop and they need a set of business cards. And my mom used to think this was funny because they always, all their businesses were always named like B and B, you know, uh, D and L, D and L you know, gutter cleaning or B and B whatever. It was always like two guys. And th so they would just call their company, you know, B&D, that was Brad and Dave doing whatever. And, and my mother said, you know, they always put the same thing on the card. Free estimates and no job too large or too small. And then they would always have both their names and both their phone numbers. It was pretty much a standard business card set up. But what, why this happened over and over and over, you know, two guys coming in is because they would talk each other into this alone. A lot of people will not take the initiative and make the leap and start something. You know, one guy all by himself, maybe he, you know, he's working for another guy and he says, man, I, I, I could be in the roofing business by myself. But he gets together and he talks with his buddy about it and they start convincing each other that this is a great idea. So they get together and they form a partnership. Now, personally, for me, partnerships are not always a great idea in business, but that's a whole nother topic for some other business guru to talk about on his podcast. But in music, partnerships are really good, and it can help you just to have somebody to talk to, you know. Um, when I was down at college, I remember one time my mother sent me a little clipping out of the paper that said, bluegrass this Wednesday and had the, had the name of the band and the place. It was in Austell, Georgia, which was a three-hour drive from Tifton. And she'd mailed this thing down to me. Probably saw it in the Atlanta Sunday paper. She didn't even know who it was. I looked at the thing, the little clipping, 
and it was J.D. Crow in the New South, and they're playing on a Wednesday night in Austell, Georgia. So I probably would not have hopped in my car and driven all the way to Austell by myself to see J.D. Crow. But when I mentioned it to my buddy Banjo, we called him Banjo, um, Mark was his name, but he went by Banjo. I tell Banjo about it. He tells Goose. And, you know, the following Wednesday, the three of us piled into the car and drove all the way to Austell and, and saw J.D. Crow in the New South. We were three people sitting in the front row, and there were only about ten people in the place. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll tell you that whole tale. But anyway, without somebody else, you know, interested in the same thing as you, willing to go places, willing to do things, you know, it's hard to get really into this. So always be on the lookout for people. Now, the ways you can you can find these people is, A, get out of the house. You, you're never going to play bluegrass just sitting around in your man cave or in your bedroom or your dorm room. It's all happening out there. Now, the learning, or at least a lot of the technical side of learning, takes place in solitary confinement, in your lonely garret. But to get to learn other things and to really get involved in the whole scene, you got to go out that door, hop in the car or the truck, and take off. And you're going to you're gonna make mistakes. You're going to go to a festival that you think is going to be the greatest thing in the world, and it turns out to just not really be that much fun. And you're going to pick up festival flyers for other festivals, and you're going to try this and try that. And you're going to, it's the only way to do this thing. You've got to get out and put some miles on the car, go into jams, go into music stores, you know, reading the bulletin board. You're going to find, sometimes you'll see little jam sessions at a music store. Sometimes you go, ah, man, that wasn't any fun. And you try another one. You keep going. You go to festivals, go to shows. If there's a bluegrass band playing in town, you ought to be there, you know? I mean, what are you doing sitting at home? You're not going to have any fun sitting at home. And you will run into people just like you, and you'll find people to pick with. I, I ran into a guy, I was, you know, I was about, I don't know, 17, 18 years old, and there was a little music store, and I walked, I used to go in there every now and then to get banjo picks or strings or something, I walk in there on a Saturday morning, they're having a little jam session. Well, there's this guitar player. He's a pretty good bluegrass player. The guy's name was Jimmy Rutherford. Very good flat picker. Met him. Well, in walked this other guy with a big old cowboy hat on, kind of western attire. Had him one of them blue Martin cases. He, friendly guy, get to talking. Start picking a little bit. And, and remember, I'm not very good at this point but he's accepting of me and we play a few tunes and I'm playing mandolin at that time they had one hanging on the wall and I picked it up and was playing it so this fella his name's Buddy Ashmore well he says we're having a picking this Friday night at my house and I've got a little log cabin out in the back of the property and we're going to have a picking why don't you come and I was like I have actually been invited to something. This is amazing. I mean, these are real bluegrass guys here, and they've invited me to a picket. 
I said, well, okay, well, how do you get there? He's like, well, you go down Noah's Ark Road, a mile and a tenth, and it's right there. Just pull in, and when you pull up by the house, you'll see the cabin down there. I'll have the lanterns lit, and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great. So I go back, and I tell my friend, this other guy named Jim, oh, and I ask him, is it okay if I bring somebody with me? He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. So, I mean, they've just thrown the door open to me. So I get my buddy Jim that Friday night, and we take off, and we go to Noah's Ark Road, and I'm looking at the odometer, and I go a mile and a tenth, slowing down, looking for a driveway. I don't see nothing. It's just woods. It's woods, woods. We go another quarter mile, half mile, mile, mile and a half. There ain't nothing out here but woods. Turn around, go back the other way. Maybe we missed it on the way in. Before we go back, we re-clock it off again a mile and a tenth from the end of Noah's Ark Road. There ain't nothing there but woods. I was like, roll your windows down. Maybe we can hear them. You know? Well, we rolled the windows down. We didn't hear nothing. So we ended up driving back and forth on that road and going home. Didn't go to the picking. Well, on, I don't think it was the next Saturday morning, but it was about a week later, I walk into that same music store in Stockbridge, Georgia, House of Music. I walk in, and I'm talking to the guy behind the counter, and in walks Buddy Ashmore, same guy, big cowboy hat, big grin on his face. And he looks at me, and he says, Where were you? I didn't even think he would notice I wasn't there. And I went through my explanation of, I, you know, I tried, I, we came, we just, we never did find you. He's like, now how'd you get there? I said, well, we came up, you know, XYZ Road, and we turned on Noah's Ark and went a mile and tenth. He's like, oh, well, you got to start at the other end of Noah's Ark Road. I was like, oh, okay, I'm a complete idiot here. Well, we're going to have another one here in, in another week. Why don't you, you know, come? So I actually ended up going to this jam session. And that's how I met Buddy Ashmore and started picking with him. And, you know, Buddy, I, I think Buddy is now 82. He's 81, 82 years old. Born in the same year as my mother. And I could fill a 100 hours of podcasts talking about the times we've had. Because let me tell you, when I found him, I found the dude. The dude that he and I saw things. We were on the same wavelength, you might say, you know? We liked the same kind of bluegrass, because there's a lot of different kinds of bluegrass. And, you know, we've we've had a band together. We've been in a band together. I have also quit that band and went and joined another band. You know, got, he was really kind of hacked off at me for a good while. But we remain friends. And we're friends to this day. And you got to find people like that. So get out there. Keep your radar out. And expect that, you know, some of the people that you might think that you found that person, that lifelong bluegrass friend, might not work out. They may, you know, people come and go and people come and go. So you always just have to kind of keep your 
ear to the ground and, you know, be friendly with people, try to be humble and, and get out there and meet a bunch of people. So anyway, that's my advice for this particular podcast. Find yourself a partner in crime. Find yourself somebody to knock around with. And you will make a lot more progress in your playing. And without question, you'll have a lot more fun. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you'll visit my website over at bradleylaird.com. And of course, you can always go to the show notes by going to grasstalkradio.com and you'll have all the episodes listed there and you can read the show notes and I put links up to anything I may have mentioned. And sometimes after I I get to, I'm about to hit publish on a particular podcast, I'll think, you know, maybe it'd be cool if I put a picture of Buddy up there, you know? <laughs> so I, I sometimes I add little little extra things there to help you, you know, visualize this stuff better. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Share it with all your friends on Facebook and Twitter. And please, you can uh, do me a favor and go over to iTunes and rate the show and write a review. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you in the next podcast.